So this morning I want to revisit something that I actually addressed four years ago at Highway Central, but I've rewritten it in a way, um, and I want, to, um, I want to look at it. I want to talk about getting, uh, getting your life unstuck. So if you feel a bit stuck, I want you to draw some inspiration from this lady named Ruth because it's really, really inspiring. So um, let me, um, let me, let's read this together and try to find ourselves in this passage because when we read the Bible, we want to ask what happened, but more importantly, what's happening in me now as I read it, all right? So let, let's look at this. If you could bring that first one up. In the days when the judges ruled... There was a famine in the land. So this is like uh, some part of the book of Judges. It'd be the last time on earth you want to be alive. And then the, 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 to add to that the stress of not enough food, you got a real, real, real problem. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Let's stop right there before we go forward and let's feel the emotions of this. Family of four not enough food to eat, have to abandon everything they own, everything they know, and go live somewhere else. This is stress. This is not just stress. This is distress. And the problem with this story is the more you read it, the worse it gets. Like you wait for the story to get better, and it just doesn't come. Watch what happens. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Mayan and Kilion. And they were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Uh, Keep going. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. This story's getting worse. The men in this story start dying off. In a day where women not attached to men were not even considered people. Uh, Social historians called women not attached to to men in that day. They called them liminal, right? Like they didn't, they weren't even considered people. And unless you think that's far-fetched, it wasn't until 1919 that the United States of America thought women were smart enough to vote, okay? That's 100 years ago. The United States of America got the revelation, hey, women are smart enough to vote, right? Now, now that, I mean, that sounds obvious, but that was only 100 years ago. That was, now, now, they voted twice, and we had the Great Depression, so I'm not sure how all that worked, but nonetheless, that's <clears throat> what they did, right? I'm joking. I'm joking. The, the Great Depression was caused by white men in suits allowing people to buy stocks on credit. That's what happened. All right, now, so, so, so this, the, the men start dying, and, and she was left with her two sons. Keep going. And they married Moabite women. That's an absolute no-no. One was named Orpah and the other Ruth. And, and after they had lived there about 10 years. So sometimes the Bible just fast forwards with details 10 years later, right? Right, oh, whatever. Don't worry about the detail, right? Both Mayan and Kilion also died. So if you're paying attention, every man in the story dies. That's bad. And, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So you got a family of four, not enough food to eat, goes to live in Moab. Every man dies, which leaves three single women in a day where they weren't even considered people. Like, like the underneath of the story of Ruth is we got to get Ruth a man. Because if we don't get Ruth a man, she's not really a person. And so there's this thing going on there, and it's distress. Like, there's so much going wrong in this. If you start taking account of everything going wrong in this story, it gets pretty daunting pretty quick. I made a list of five things. Check this out. Next slide. First, she's living in the wrong time period. She's living in the time of the judges. That's the last time you want to be alive. When I hear Christians talk today like, oh, Shane, can you believe how bad this world's getting? What are you talking about? Like, this is the best time ever to be alive, especially if you're a woman. Like, it, it, like look, is God done redeeming women's rights? No. Is it better? Yes. You don't want to live back then. There was no king. There was no judicial system. There was, no, there was no police force. There was no triple O. There was no, here's what happened in the time of the judges. People did what was right in their own eyes. 
which means the strongest, biggest tribes dominated the smaller, weaker clans. That's what happened. It's the walking dead on speed. This is what would happen, minus the zombies. You got Negan and all these guys. This is, you don't want to be alive back then. Like, that was, that's the wrong time period to be alive. And then you add to that the stress of not enough food. You got a real distressful situation. Wrong time period. She's in the wrong country, Moab. She's the wrong gender. She's a female. We'll talk about that more in, in, in a second. She's the wrong race. She's a Moabite, most hated group of people to the Israelites. We'll talk about that in just a second. And she's married to the wrong husband. She married an Israelite. But that wouldn't have been her choice. Like, here's how marriage worked back then. If you were a girl, you had your first period. Was that 12, 13, whenever that happens, right? You have your first period. Within six weeks, you were given to a man you've never met in exchange for protection, money, food, whatever deal they made. They used their 13-year-old girls as bartering chips to buy favors from other people, right? So, so when, when, when I hear people go, we stand for biblical marriage, please be more specific, okay? Because <laughs> that is in there. I know what you mean, and I agree with you. I'm just simply saying, don't frame your argument that way because there's stuff in there. <laughs> right? Now think about that. If you woke up in the morning and you're at the wrong place, in the wrong time, in the wrong gender, married to the wrong person, what's that feel like? That's stuck. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever woke up in the morning and went, oh, I'm just in the wrong place at the wrong time? And then you look over at your spouse and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. You're like, Lord. Have you ever woke up at 4.30 in the morning and your spouse is making noises? And, 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 and I'm not going to be gender specific here, but your spouse is making noises and it's making it hard for you to fall back asleep and you just can't hardly bear it, Right. And you look there, and you just can't take it one more second, and so you, you nudge them, right? You nudge them, and, the, and the, goal is, the goal is to nudge them just enough to get them to wake up, right? And, you, and, and, and hopefully that one minute of, of, of non-snoring wakefulness will let you fall back asleep, right? And that's what you're hoping. But then the, the, and it's 4.30 in the morning, and, and you just nudge them enough to do that, and it, and it disturbs them just a bit too much because that, that, that's a... a, 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 a fragile thing. So, so they turn. They don't just wake up a little bit. They turn and they blow. It's just the perfect, perfect angle. And they blow all their morning breath all over you. Right? And you're thinking, oh yeah, till death do us part. <laughs> wrong place, wrong time. Wrong gender, wrong race, wrong husband. That is called stuck. Now, like with most things in the Bible, there's a story underneath the story that makes the story make more sense, right? Now, most times in the Bible, when you look at the history underneath the story, it makes the story better. Unfortunately, that's not the case with the story. The history underneath this actually makes the story worse. It's such an important part of Jewish history. It takes up four full chapters in the book of Numbers. Four full chapters. That's, in Bible terms, that's the Shawshank Redemption, okay? That's a saga, right? Four chapters for one story. It's such a long thing. Um, I, I, it's, I wouldn't read four chapters of the Bible, so I'm going to tell the story. I'll tell it well, and then I'll show you little snippets, okay? Here's what happened. Abraham and Lot 
are related. They argue over a piece of land, and they end up going their separate ways. Abraham becomes the father of the Israelites, who become big enough to be a nation 400 years later. Lot becomes the father of the Moabites, and they become big enough to become a nation years later. This Israelite family ends up enslaved in Egypt. 430 years later, they come out of slavery, and the first people they run into are their ancient cousins, the Moabites. Now, at this point, the Moabites are run by a king named Balak, and Balak has three choices. Choice number one, welcome them. Hello. Overpopulation is hardly a problem. Please come in, find a piece of land, and settle. He does not choose that option. Option number two is attack them. He doesn't choose that option because evidently they outnumber him greatly. What that means, I don't know, but outnumbered him greatly is the reason he gives. So he chooses door number three. And door number three was, I'm going to hire a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon to put a curse on these people. And the idea was, this guy evidently is very good at cursing people. And if he curses people, they stay cursed. So I'm going to hire him to curse the people. And then in their weakened curse state, then I can attack them and kill them. So he pays Balaam a fee for divination, right? So he pays him a fee to come divinate. Balaam shows up and goes to curse the people, opens his mouth, and nothing comes out of his mouth except a blessing, right? Now, this surprises Balaam and Balak. They're like, what's happening here? Maybe, and so they try this three different times. And no matter what, Balaam opens his mouth and cannot find the curse. He only blesses them. Now, this leaves Balak with a problem. Not only are these people now not cursed, they're actually blessed, and that's a problem. So he has to come up with an idea to get God to turn on them. That's the basics of four chapters. Let me show you the scriptures now. This is like really skipping a lot. Next slide, right? So Balak said, people have come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the land. They settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because I know they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, whoever you curse is cursed, right? So the elders of Moab, Moab and Midian left with them taking the fee for divination. He shows up and it doesn't work. He ends up blessing the people. And this irritates Balak, as you can understand. He paid for a good cursing and now the blessing is happening. This is irritating to Balak. Now Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, now you done nothing but bless them. Now watch what, Balak, watch what Balaam says. And he answered, must I not speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? In other words, Balak, Balaam's saying, I've inquired of the Lord and this is what's coming out of my mouth. Now let's be clear about this. When Balaam said, I'm asking God, and this is what comes out of my mouth, who's he talking about? He's talking about his God. He's never heard of Israelites. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even know what their name is. He says a people coming out of Egypt. He's never heard of the Israelite God. He's never heard of, we know later that he's a worshiper of Ramon. So here's what's happening is Balaam is praying to Ramon to conjure up a good curse. And what's happening is, is the living God of Israel is stepping over every rule we've ever created about who can be used by God and who can't. And he uses a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon to bless his people. Why? Because he was the one that was available and God loves people more than the rules we've created. Right? Like, is God allowed to do that? Okay, that's really good. Okay, so, so when I say God allowed to do something, the answer is yes, all right? So is God allowed to use a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon to prophesy over people? Yeah, evidently. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules. God loves people more than the rules we've created. 
He loves people more than rules. If you read the whole story, there's even a talking donkey involved in this thing. Like the principle of the story is God does what he likes. It's fine. Now watch what happens. Next slide. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. Now let's give honestly. Of course it would. Balak's anger burned against Balaam and he struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you here to curse my enemies, but now you've blessed them three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being, in other words, I hope you enjoy whatever relationship it is with this God because he just kept you from getting paid, bro. Now, to make sure we're following the story, Balak needs these people cursed. Now, not only are they not cursed, they're actually blessed. So Balak has to come up with a plan. And here was his plan. And because there's children in the room, I'm gonna talk in a little bit of code, okay? But just to honor the mothers and not have to explain things later, okay? So I'm gonna talk a little bit of code, but I need the adults to, um, to, to, yeah, I need you to read through what I'm saying, okay? So what Balak does is he gets the Moabite women to seduce and invite the Israelite men to a celebration service to the Baal of Peor. Now, the Baal of Peor was the god of fertility who received worship through a certain fertility ritual. Now, that's pretty good. He received worship through outdoor public party expressions of this fertility ritual. And Balak says to the Moabite women, everybody following what I'm saying here? Okay, good. <clears throat> so Balak says to the, to the Moabite women, your job in life is to seduce the Israelite men <laughs> to participate in this fertility ritual. And maybe if they worship our God in this way, then their God will turn against them. And then I can attack them. Now, so he throws this party and it worked. This is Numbers 25, the very next chapter. Watch what happens. While Israel was staying in Shittim. Now that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. That's funny. That's funny. Because when you give in to Moabite immorality, it can put your life in a world of... Right? <clears throat> and I'm not worried about that word. I know your children hear that at home. It's fine. All right. So, well, and it's just right there. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in immorality with Moabite women, which is the story I just told, who invited them to the sacrifice of their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So, so keep going. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burnt against them. So this ends up as a disaster. Everybody's ticked off. God's ticked off. Moses ticked off. Balak's ticked off. Balaam's ticked off. Somewhere there's a talking donkey that's ticked off. Everybody's ticked off. If you ever thought the Bible was boring, you need a new teacher, right? This is like interesting stuff, right? Everybody's ticked off and everybody starts overreacting. Balak overreacts, Balaam overreacts, Moses overreacts. And that was, his, that was sort of his modus operandi. He, 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 um, he did things, he had temper problems. He was a premeditated murderer, right? He, he was not a perfect person. He, he oh, totally overreacts to this whole thing. The problem is, is that he wrote his overreaction down. <laughs> the problem is, is where would Moses have written it down? In the Bible. This is Deuteronomy 23. 
This is Moses' reaction to the Shittim incident, okay? No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants, uh uh-oh, may enter to the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. What? God does not accept Moabites ever. Now, is that true? Oh, my goodness, no. Like, in case you're not following, Ruth is a Moabite, which, which means David is one-fourth Moabite, which means Jesus is like 127th Moabite, right? He's writing this national, you're not allowed to be friends with Moabites. And, and he reminds them why. For they didn't come out to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. They hired Balaam, the son of Beor from Pithor and Aram, to, to, pronounce, a, Naharim, to, to pronounce a curse on you. But God, but God did not listen to the curse, but turned the curse into a blessing, because the Lord your God loves you more than the rules, right? So here's what's happening in this story. Because of this incident, Moses writes a national law that says no Moabites are welcome. So not only is she in the wrong place at the wrong time married to the wrong dude, now Jewish law says she's not welcome in Israel. And here's what's gonna be the problem. The story's gonna turn and she's gonna wanna come back to Israel with Naomi and Naomi's gonna try to get her to stay. But the reason she's gotta get her to stay is because there's no Moabites welcome. Why? Because scripture at that time said it. Now watch what happens. Next slide, this is back to the book of Ruth. Yeah, next one. In the day, oh, next one. Yeah, yeah, okay, now keep going. Yeah, yeah, we we gotta get to the first five. Yeah, here we go, first six, there you go, six. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. There you go. Next slide. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, let's be clear. Judah is under what rule? Deuteronomy 23. And Deuteronomy 23 says, who's not welcome? Moabites. And now you've got a Moabite wanting to come into Israel when the scripture clearly forbids it, right? Can you see where the tension in this story is, is going? Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. In other words, the whole thing is about getting these women married, right? And you need a man. And here's the thing. Moabite men marry Moabite women. Israelite men can't even be friends with them. We're not allowed to even have you around. And here's the thing. Both of you have a Moabite nose and a Moabite accent. And, and, and it's written in our law. You can't come back. You can't do it. You can't do it. If you come back, they're going to kill you or banish you. It just doesn't work. And it has to do with something you had nothing to do with. But unfortunately, Moses wrote it down in, in our law. And our law says that you're not allowed to come in because God does not accept people like you. Now, watch, watch what happens. Next slide. Oh, oh at, this, uh, at this they wept. Oh, okay. They, then they kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. And, and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Keep going. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you want to come with me? We can't accept you. It's written in our law. Why would you do that, right? Am I going to have any more sons? Who, who could ever become your husband? Keep going. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought that there was still hope for me, even if I, she was probably... 27, but even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, you would have to wait till they grew up. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. Is it more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me? Keep going. At this, they wept aloud, as you would. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Now watch what Naomi says to her. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her God's. Go back with it. Why would, why would Naomi say that? Does Naomi not care about her soul? 
Like, what if Ruth died in a donkey accident? Like, what is, what's going on here, right? Right? Why would Naomi say that? Because in their law at that time, they didn't have everything we have. In their law at that time, it says God does not accept Moabites. And you got a Moabite nose, Moabite accent. We can't have this. We can't do this. It's, it's not going to work, man. Come on, Ruth. you got to go back to your people and your gods. Watch what Ruth says, which I think makes her the bravest person in the whole Bible. Watch what she says. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Ruth, you're not paying attention. You got a Moabite nose, Moabite accent. It's written in scripture, God doesn't accept Moabites. Now, what's going on here? And what does this mean for us? See, see, one question the book of Ruth is addressing is, are you actually stuck with your lot in life or can you be empowered by a better choice? What's happening? Get, get the picture here. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong race, wrong gender, wrong husband, and even the Bible forbids you. Nobody's ever been that stuck in your whole life. None of us. You imagine Ruth telling her life to God, thanks very much, bro. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong husband, wrong race, wrong gender. Even the Bible says that. What? Like, that is stuck. But here's how Ruth unstuck her life. And I think if we take this advice and apply it to us, we can unstick our life too. Here's how you unstick your life if you're finding yourself a bit stuck. One, Spiritually, you have to believe that God loves people more than the rules that were created. That God loves people more than the rules. If you're here and you're new to the whole Jesus thing, let me summarize Jesus' entire ministry in one statement. God loves you more than the rules. God loves you more than the rules. If you look at Jesus' life, there were so many times that they bring him somebody. So let's, for instance, a lady caught in the act of adultery. They bring her to him and they say, hey, Scripture is very clear. We must stone her. But what was Jesus' response? I know. I know what Scripture says, but we're not going to do that because I love her more than the rules. Jesus, the fullness of God incarnate, was not about rule-keeping. He was about loving people. And here's what he did, right? Because here's the thing. Okay. If you're a good-hearted person, now, if you're not, just tune me out for a second, and I'm not talking to you anyway. If, it's okay. It's okay if you're a bad-hearted person. It's not my place. You enjoy your life. But here's the thing. If you're, if you're a good-hearted person, good-hearted people regularly struggle with this. Where does my call to love them violate my call to revere Holy Scripture? When, does this make sense? Like, where does my call to love a person violate Holy Scripture? And where does my call to honor Holy Scripture violate my call to love people? And if you've never struggled with that, get new friends. Okay? Right? Because here's the thing, right? We struggle with that all the time. Like, can you think of any group of people that might feel less than welcome in church because the Bible forbids something about their lifestyle choice? Any group of people just pop to your mind, you know? They, they, feel, they feel less than welcome in our churches because the Bible strictly forbids something about their lifestyle choice, right? And of course, who am I talking about? Let's just be real. The, the gluttons, right? The, the, the unrepentant overeaters, right? Because, 
because the Bible strictly forbids unrepentant overeating, right? So, so what do we do if a busload of unrepentant overeaters came to church here next Sunday? And I'm not talking about one lonely fat dude, neither. I'm talking about reinforce the floor, right? What should our response be, right? And here's the thing, and we better get this right. We have two choices. We can be a community of people who wanna be right about the Bible. And in so doing, we should explain, this is what the Bible says about, right, right? right? And good luck building a church. Or we can do something more profound than that. And I think this is what Jesus has called us to do is while honoring scripture, don't focus on simply being right about one verse, fulfill the whole thing. And the fulfillment of scripture is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Because here's what happened in this passage, right? The people of Israel are faced with a choice. What do we do with a Moabite who wants to be an Israelite when the scriptures forbid Moabites? What do we do? What do we do? And here's what they did. They chose to fulfill scripture by treating her how they would wanna be treated. And thank God they did. You realize all it would have taken was one Bible-thumping literalist to draw a line in the sand to go, hi, Moabite nose, Moabite accent. The Bible clearly says she's not welcome. Out! And if they'd have done that, would they have been correct according to the Bible at that time? Oh, yeah. But if they'd have done that, who would have never been born? David and then Jesus, right? So it's so good they did that. It's so good. Here's how you unstick your life. Spiritually, you live with the conviction that God loves people more than the rules. You also live with the conviction that we are called to fulfill scripture instead of being right about one verse about it. And here's what so moves me about Ruth. Here's what Ruth did before it was a thing. Like Ruth is a pioneer of a thing. I love this. She chose to put her faith in the character of a loving God instead of the list of rules. And that is flipping inspiring. And here's what she did. She took her one next step to Bethlehem. But what if they throw you out? I don't know. I'm just not going to be stuck in Moab. No, one more step. One more step. Which leads me to this question. How do you unstick your life? You live with a conviction that God loves people more than the rules. You live with a conviction that we are called to fulfill scripture instead of simply being right about it. And then you wake up every day and in your natural life, you take your one next step, even if there's no guarantee for where that might lead. So what is your one next step? And there's no yes that's too small to change your life. See, she stepped into Israel trying to change her life. And did she? Yes. But she ended up changing everything for everyone. You never know where taking your one next step doesn't just change your life, but changes everything for everyone. So whether that next step is vocational, start the business, whether it's spiritual, trust Jesus, or consider God exists, whatever your step is, or, or, or get involved in what, is what obviously is going on really awesome around here. Like, like, like get involved there. Maybe it's relational. Maybe you need to tell someone how you feel. Maybe it's, maybe it's a text or a coffee that says, I forgive you. I've, hey, I'm letting this go. We are moving forward now. I forgive you. Whatever your next step is, here's what I know. If you live with a conviction that you're called to fulfill scripture instead of being right about it, that you are called to live in a way that God loves people more than the rules, and you wake up every day taking your one next step. You never know the infinite possibilities that that could leave your life with God. Now, I'm not being antisocial at all, but that's a long ride back to that main campus. And they're going to be waiting on me. So I hope you enjoyed that. Hey, come tonight and hang out with us. Grace and peace, everybody. God bless.